Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... Of course, the further you get along, the harder you sort of hold on to the things that you might have made or maybe your own kind of biases around that. And it's not everyone, of course, so people do this, but I, I think it's it's genuine engagement and genuinely taking on board feedback and asking a variety of questions at the start to make sure that you're, you're making the right thing. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 261 of Impact Boom. My name is Indio Miles, and I'm passionate about communicating the initiatives and enterprises causing sustainable and positive change globally. Today, we're speaking with Melanie Butcher. Mel is the Director of Impact and Engagement at The Social Deck, a certified B Corporation committed to helping organizations to reach and engage people in actions that have a positive impact on society and the environment. She's a passionate facilitator and specializes in ensuring engagement practices are equitable, inclusive, and accessible. This includes designing and applying human-centered design and co-design approaches wherever possible to ensure the genuine input of stakeholders and affected community members in change projects. Mel has recently been the lead designer and facilitator for national consultations on a broad range of issues and policies, including the National Declaration for Educational Goals of Young Australians, National Obesity Prevention Strategy, and the National Disability Strategy. She has also led research, co-design, and evaluation for a range of innovative social, health, and environmental programs. On today's podcast, we are going to discuss the social deck's activities that are generating a variety of social impacts, lessons learned from engaging the public with national strategies, as well as local community projects, and methods for effectively including the community in decision-making for social enterprise. Mel, thank you so much for joining us today. It's fantastic to be speaking with you right now. Thanks, India. It's great to be talking with you too. Excellent. So to start off, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you to working in the social enterprise sector? Thanks. Yeah. Look, I have a bit of a strange background. I'm actually a geologist by training and I worked as a geologist for about 12 years. And so I, it actually was, was a great career to start off with and, and I got to travel the world. I I worked in North America and South America and in in different locations through Australia, actually. And I think it was it was really good because it gave me sort of the opportunity to develop a really broad perspective on the way that different organisations can add value to their business and the wider community in different cultural and and social contexts. 
But in the end, I guess I decided I wanted to do something that had more of a positive impact as much as I loved and still love studying rocks. I wanted to to make more of an impact on the world. And my other passion is in communication. So I was sort of always doing a little bit of writing on the side and that sort of thing. But yeah, I just decided around about nine years ago now to make a big career move. And then to, I guess, to facilitate this, I, I started, I jumped into studying grad cert in social impact at UNSW. So I was living in Orange at the time and commuted over to Sydney to sort of do this course part-time over a couple of years. And it was just amazing. It actually turned into an MBA, the MBA X, yeah, in social impact. And that was through the Australian Graduate School of Management. But, you know, it was the... Yeah, I, I was just, I was really exciting to, to sort of be do, doing something that I was really passionate about. I had these amazing teachers there at, at UNSW with the Centre for Social Impact, people like Cheryl Kernow, one of my first teachers, Ingrid Burkett was there at the time, Gianni Zappala and Liz Skelton and Kerry Graham, all like just amazing people in the sort of social impact space. So I was really, really privileged, I guess, to, to learn from then from from those people. I guess also I made a really amazing network of friends during that time and people that were sort of finding their passion together and and it was just a great start I guess into thinking about that sort of intersection between social impact and creating positive social change and also business and how businesses can help that or on the flip side how people can not stay in the sort of hamster wheel of, of funding and maybe, you know, look at sort of social enterprise models for being able to create more impact in, in sort of the, the social change projects that were happening. So I had a real, I guess I developed a real passion for aligning that sort of business with purpose during that time. And then at the same time, sort of started working with the social deck. So yeah, I guess that's my kind of background to where I got to where I am. Wow, Mel, that's a wonderful background that you have there and some amazing mentors to have met along the way. And you kind of touched on it at the end there, but that's now led you to working with the social deck. So for our listeners, could you please describe the activities of the social deck and how you are helping organisations to create their own positive impact? Yeah, right. So the Social Deck actually started. So my business partners, Kate and Steve, actually founded the Social Deck Mm. in New York a couple of years before I joined, actually. And at the time, the Social Deck was formed because there was this real sort of the social enterprise movement. I think it was about 2011 in New York where they were at the time. And they saw this sort of gap where they, there was this need for, there was all these amazing social enterprises happening, but there was a need for helping social enterprises and nonprofits in general sort of to communicate the impact that they were having and to, to just help with communications in general. So that's where the social deck kind of started. But when Kate and Steve came back from New York, they went back to some other jobs and we kind of all started the, the social deck again in, in about 20, the start of 2014. And with the sort of seed planted of continuing this idea of of being able to do communication for good, which included things like working on innovative sort of social marketing and behaviour change campaigns for in in health and that sort of thing. But also we were doing stuff like all sorts of things at the start, but we had an online magazine called Ideas Hoist, which was which was sort of trying to elevate social entrepreneurship and, and startups as well, those who had a bit of a social purpose built in 
that's where it started. But over yeah. time, what we've found that we've evolved into is, you know, we started with this idea of, I guess, business for good. And we've moved into the, the workspace, I guess, where we're mostly consulting to government clients, but on sort of policy change and social change projects that we believe have a positive impact. So what we do is that our, our core work is in these days is really in community and stakeholder engagement on public policy, like some of the things you talked about before, like the National Disability Strategy and the National Obesity Prevention Strategy. We will do that, that engagement piece there. But I guess what we do in terms of our, our impact is that we, um, we apply a lens across all of our work that it needs to have that that positive impact and and purpose that there will be a positive outcome from the work that we're doing and for us that's really become about letting people especially people who are maybe more marginalized or disadvantaged or who don't usually get the chance to speak to make sure that our engagement process is really inclusive and yeah. make sure that everybody has sort of an, can be have an equitable voice to government when there's change happening particularly change that affects them so we still do quite a lot of work with smaller organizations as well social enterprises and ngos that sort of thing around strategy or even community-based sort of behavior change projects say around we've done some around illegal dumping and reducing the risk of mosquito-borne diseases and things like mm. that. But, yeah, we basically look for projects that we think will have a really positive impact. And, you know, I guess overall we're about communicating to people about and, you know, helping them to, to engage in the way that they can and that they want to in changes that are happening. Yeah, you've interacted with the sector on so many different levels there, Mel, which is fantastic. And I think that... Maybe if we hone in and focus on that national level that you were talking about just then, you have facilitated the design and development of so many of these strategies and campaigns. What would be some of the critical lessons you've learned from using a variety of approaches in the design and consultation phases of these campaigns? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think is engagement has to be genuine. It's, yeah, it's just, it's not, and it shouldn't be. Consultation or engagement shouldn't be a box ticking exercise. So I think all of the work that we do, we advocate for in, in our work to government or other clients too around the, that genuine engagement. And, and most people are, are absolutely on board with that. I think that one of the key things is to try to generate trust. And sometimes that actually means letting go of some of the process. So for example, we work with what we've found is that we would actually work with a lot of smaller organisations, often advocacy organisations in the spaces that we might be consulting with people because they have already built the trust with the communities that they know and that they advocate for and work with all the time. Yeah, so, yeah, so we've learned to let go of, of some of our processes and, and trust others to know how to engage with people that they engage with. Yeah, look, other things that things like we we don't we've learned things that we don't expect always people to come to us to to engage, even if we think that um, the problem that we're talking about or the strategy or the you know the opportunities really relevant, people shouldn't be expected to come, I don't know, all the way into the city to engage all the time in, in one place. So we we try wherever possible to go to where is easier for people, sometimes to where people are, particularly for community-based projects. 
Yeah. And look, overall, I think these are sort of the principles that we work with. We need to be strategic. We need to understand what types of engagement works for who. It's not a cookie cutter exercise. So we need to change the way that we engage with people in terms of the way that they want to engage and so that it's inclusive, but also things like we don't call things co-design if it's not actually co-design so if people you know so I think it's really important to not just to manage people's expectations but also to to sort of draw that line all the time to be able to say if this is a consultation if like on the IAP2 spectrum if, if you're sort of informing or sort of consulting with people but you're not willing to involve them in the solution and and actually use their ideas in the solution then you you don't call it co-design call it yeah. um, consultation I think that's a very detailed approach that you have there. And I think it's very evident that it works in a lot of the activities of the social decks. So fantastic. Well done. (laughs) Thanks. So Mel, what advice would you give to an entrepreneur seeking to engage the community within their operations and future decision-making processes? That's a great question. So I guess the first thing I would say is don't be afraid of people, like not just users, but just generally people and and people who might have any sort of interaction with a product or service or, you know, that you're using, particularly people who, if you're, if you're sort of beneficiaries, if, if that's the sort of business that you have to, to get out there and really ask people, you know, Mm. what, what do you want? Um, you know, why do you do what you do? What are your sort of pain points? What, what do you think are the opportunities? And if you have made something, you know, to be really open to, to feedback and to testing whatever you're making with, you know, with a range of people too, not just people like you, but with a, a range of a sort of diversity of people. And I think one of the things that I've learned is, yeah, just to, to not be afraid to, to sometimes even just go out there on the street and be asking questions and be really curious about what people think. A lot of people are just keen to have a chat and you just learn so much. I think also another thing would be to sort of try to bake it into the business model. So mm-hmm. that might be through board of advisors or some sort of reference group or some sort of champions in the community and to as much as possible embrace diversity in that too, gender diversity, racial diversity, making sure that there's LGBTIQA plus representation if if that's appropriate, making sure that people with disability or neurodiverse people are included. It's really important, I think, to be able to think strategically within a social enterprise or, or a nonprofit or, you know, or a business around what's going to the sort of people that will really help to sort of challenge your assumptions, but also help contribute to making the right thing or, or developing the right sort of service. Yeah, I think the other thing I would say just in terms of communications is don't use jargon. Yeah. <laughs> don't try yeah. to baffle people with bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Simple language is the best way to communicate with people as well. And I think that the sort of principles of universal design in terms of communication could be better in terms of the way that people talk about, about things with, with users or, or the community. It really seems that you're touching on that idea of those authentic interactions and really kind of talking to people and just getting the best message to them, which is really beautiful. It's a really great approach to social enterprise. Yeah, and and also getting the best messages from them as well. Like I I mean, I think sometimes we don't, 
One of the things I find a lot in our work and other, especially in the sort of work that we'll do in, in sort of strategic, you know, projects are sort of end-to-end, so starting off with research and ending with evaluation in some ways or, or you know, although evaluation should be baked in from the start as well. But one of the things is that often people don't or they forget to sort of ask the really hard questions at the start to really challenge those assumptions right at the start of a project. And then, of course, the further you get along, the harder you sort of hold on to the things that you might have made or maybe your own kind of biases around that. And it's not everyone, of course, so people do this, but I, I think it's it's genuine engagement and genuinely taking on board feedback and asking a variety of questions at the start to make sure that you're, you're making the right thing. Challenging assumptions. That's really, really a great message. And I think that there's plenty there for all social entrepreneurs to learn from. So thank you very much, Mel. So we're kind of moving into the end of our interview, but we have one or two questions left. The first one is, what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently that are creating a positive social change? I am really keen, I'm really inspired by, I should say, the sort of cooperative models and the networks that are out there. You probably know that you know, Nanda Co-op is, has been, in, you know, I think is just an incredible organisation. Yeah. I know they've won some awards recently. But, you know, the point is that it's it's a member organisation. It's a co-op. And the sort of the benefits flow to the people that looking that the that the business is looking to generate the sort of capacity and to being able to to empower so the benefits don't just it's not just sort of an empowering in terms of telling people that they're doing a great job and and getting them to to speak which is speak up or, or whatever that might be or to you know generate those employment opportunities but that they actually flow back in a business sense as well so mm-hmm. and I think there's other like there's lots of great organizations like that I mean what Rob and Emma Kate are doing with the Food Connect Shed and I think what is happening on the Sunshine Coast with FAM, the Food and Agriculture Network, is really cool. Like there's lots of, I guess, those networks where they sort of operate on behalf of their members and everybody's kind of lifting each other up. And I got a lot of the kind of proceeds are actually going back to to members or the benefits are going back to the network. And I think those are really cool organisations. The other one I just, I guess I'd love to give a, a shout out to is my friend Tash, who does Talk Revolution. So it's just a pretty new thing, but well, it's not it's not that new, I guess. It's, it's been around for a bit, but she's generating, you know, uh, some really good stuff at the moment. It's where she's developed like sort of the curriculum match resources for teachers and parents that are about real talks. They're presented by kids for kids about the conversations that matter, like about periods or drug mm. and alcohol and, and sex. And it's really relevant to this moment. It's about yeah, consent. Really key sex. kind of things to touch on for kids there. Yeah. And it's the most important thing is it's, it's actually developed by kids as well. So mm. I think that sort of peer model is what we've seen work really, really well. So I think that's a really cool social enterprise as well. It was exactly what you were just talking about just before about including those people in that kind of consultation and that co-design process. So it really kind of champions exactly what you were focusing on before. And those were some amazing projects and initiatives there. We'll just move on to our last question, which is, Mel, what books or resources would you recommend to our listeners? 
That's a good question. I hardly have time, unfortunately, these days, <laughs> although I know it's you make time to read books and I know it's the lamest excuse ever. I know. I um, 100% understand. I really, yeah, it's so hard sometimes to get around to reading books, even if you love doing it. Totally. Yeah. So mm. I guess I, t- I tend to sort of snap up words of wisdom a little bit more than read an entire book. So, so there's a couple of things that I would recommend is, well, firstly, following people that you admire or really thinking, deeply thinking people as well. I do on whatever your preferred social media platform is. You know, I use Twitter a bit, but whatever you use, uh, there's little things like I would go get, uh, I think I get it sort of every day, the Seth Godin little snippet of wisdom. That's really cool. I'd read There's these awesome essays by Paul Graham that I've read quite a a lot of. You can sort of Google him and and sort of a startup VC person in the States, but really, really lots of wisdom. Maria Popova does the brain pickings blog, and I just love that and I love seeing that sort of stuff. It just really inspires me. In terms of resources, I always go back to, and there's probably other things out there these days, but for my work and because I do a lot of design of engagement and sort of, I guess, looking at different methods and that sort of thing, I always go back to the sort of IDEO kind of design kit and field guide to human-centered design and the DIY toolkit as well online. And then Better Evaluation org is like the best site ever for you know looking at sort of measuring social impact and, and evaluation in my opinion they would be like amazing resources I mean in terms of books there would be one book I reckon I read in the last couple of years on these subjects you know, I've read lots of fiction but <laughs> <laughs> one book on this topic that really challenge me and I really do like to have assumptions challenged so it might be because of this but there was a book called I don't know if you've read it but it's a book called Winners Take All. No. The Elite Charade of Changing the World. It was it's by a guy called Arand Giridharadis I think. I think we might have had this book recommended in the past but a while ago actually so no continue. Well I don't think I I don't think it's a particularly new book I don't know it might be Mm. like five years. I'm not too sure. But no, I really the, the just, title's very distinct. It sounds quite familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Look, the premise is basically that you, you can't solve problems with the same thinking that made them. So you mm. can't, there's lots of good things and things like impact investing and that sort of thing, absolutely. But, you know, this idea that sort of using capitalist solutions, if the driver of inequality in that way and disadvantage won't be tackled, is not, you know, it's not going to work in the long term no, and I just think it, no and it kind of links to a lot of the sort of social issues that are swirling at the moment it's the idea that winners can't keep winning over everyone else even if they have the best intentions and yeah sure I've made a lot of money and I, I want to give back and that's great but do people avoid questioning their own power and their business practice and their own kind of wealth in that and I think at the moment there's lots of that even around gender equality and tackling harassment and abuse where society's default is to think about what the victim can do about the problem rather than what someone else needs to sacrifice to avoid kind of the sort of that problem happening again and again. So I just found it really amazing. And that's, that's my recommendation for a book to read. 
few fantastic books and resources you've recommended there. And alongside those inspiring projects and initiatives, they will be at the end of our article. So once the listeners listen to the podcast or read through the transcript, they'll be free to click through all of those. I know for a few of those projects, especially the Nunda Co-op, uh, we've had interviews in the past with the leaders of those projects, Marion Glover and Emma Kate Rose from Food Connect Sheds. So people will also be able to have a look and see more information about them. So yeah, I believe that takes us to the end of our interview, Mel. I just wanted to say on behalf of Impact Boom, thank you so much for making the time today to come and speak with us and to share your generous insights and time. It's been really insightful to talk to you today. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of your work in the future with The Social Deck. Thank you. Thanks, India. It's been great. Really enjoyed the convo. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.